I'm going to be talking about the hope of a hooker. Everyone is looking at me and thinking, what in the world are you talking about? Tonight, we're going to talk about the hope of a hooker. But before I get started with that, um, have you guys ever been around your friends? And maybe it's someone you're really close to, and, and they just say stupid stuff. And you just, you just look at them, and you, you just say, you are hopeless. You're crazy. Um, being on staff here, one of the things I've had to get used to is going to lunch and sitting at a table with Pastor Ronnie and Pastor Sean, and I'm just eating my food, and I'm minding my own business, and all of a sudden, one of them says something absolutely stupid, and I just, I just look at him, and then the other one starts playing off of him, and then it's this thing that goes back and forth, back and forth, and I just look at him, and I say, what planet are you from? You guys are hopeless. We say that to our friends sometimes, knowing that they're not hopeless. Ronnie and Sean are amazing men. But then there are people in life that we look at and they are hopeless. There are things in their lives that are, that are tough to, to grasp. There are things that are tough to fathom. And um, I just want to go through a couple pictures real quick. There are some funny ones and some things we can all look at and laugh at. And then there are some things that are just kind of real in life. So, Bo, let's see that first picture. Here's a guy, I don't know what this guy was thinking or how he got duct taped to the back of a moving van, but I think he's pretty hopeless. Let's move on to the next one. This guy's just an idiot. Can we all say this guy's a moron? What in the world is he doing? Pretty self-explanatory. I guess he doesn't think anyone will steal his bike. Um, this one, you've all had those days. That cat just annoys me. But then we get to some that... Um, that uh, we can all kind of empathize with, some pictures that we can all relate to, and go on to this next picture. Have you ever just had that, that, that feeling where you just, you just don't want to go on? Go ahead, Bo. You just kind of don't know how life is going to, uh, to move, and you just, you just want to cry. Tonight, we're going to talk about hopelessness. And so if you have your Bibles, Go ahead and turn with me to Joshua 1, and then we're going to move to Joshua 2. But we're going to start with Joshua 1, 8, and 9, and then I'm going to move to Joshua 2, 1 through 21. Joshua 1, 8 through 9. Joshua 1, 8 through 9. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong. Everyone say, be strong. Everyone say, be strong. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Fast forward to Joshua 2, 1 through 21. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from, from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the country. Then the woman took, took the men, the two men, and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men, the men to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof, and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in, the, in order on the roof. Then the men pursued, pursued them by the, the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, they came up to them on the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. 
For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above, above and on earth beneath. Now therefore I beg you to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sister, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will kindly deal and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on a city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get to the mountain lest the, the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless... When we come into the land, you bind the, the line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from our oath, which you made us swear." Then she said, according to your words, so be it. According to your words, so be it. The first thing I want to say tonight as we get started is God brings hope where hopelessness abounds. We serve a God that brings hope in the midst of chaos. We serve a God that brings hope in the midst of despair. We serve a God that brings hope in the midst of dejection. I've recently been kind of uh, struggling with, with some hopelessness myself. Um, we've been very fortunate to have my mom very generously allow us to, uh, to live in her house for the past year. But how many of you know you kind of need your own space? It kind of just helps if you have your own space. And Mandy and I have, have I'm not going to say fruitlessly, but we've been looking for a house for a, a few months now. And each time it seems like something positive is coming up, it seems like we get knocked down. And, and, it's, and it's, become, it's become frustrating. I ask myself, are we ever going to find a house? It's a frustrating, it's a long process, but, but I serve a God that tells me, you have hope in me, in what you've asked. It is out there waiting for you. Just wait on me and just know that I have already made you a promise. It might be a promise that you cannot physically see right now, but use your spiritual eyes. You have what you have asked for. Hopelessness is a depression that comes from the feeling that it's useless to try anymore. Hopelessness is a feeling that we have that we just don't know if we can go on. We don't know if what we're looking for is ever going to be accomplished. We don't know if what, what we've asked for is ever going to happen. But I serve a God that stands on hope. Before coming to Christ's point, we served Teen Challenge. And if, you're, if you know anything about Teen Challenge, you know it's a place where People show up that are full of hopelessness. People show up that, are, that have, their lives have bottomed out, that everything in their world is upside down. And to top it off, it wasn't just a regular teen challenge center we worked at. We worked with 40 adolescent girls. How many of you know that if you put a bunch of teenage girls in a room, it's going to be pretty crazy? Now let's add some drugs and let's add some sex and let's add some craziness on there. And it gets pretty insane in that place. And so here's, here's Mandy and I, we're working in this place, but there's, there's one common thread that happened with every single girl that walked through that door. When girls walked in, I could look at them. I would look at their faces. I would look into their eyes. Their eyes were hollow. They were filled with anger. They were filled with remorse. They were filled with apathy. They didn't want to be around anyone. They didn't care about life. Everything in their life was shattered. They had nothing to live for. They were angry. They were hurt. They were cynical. They were suicidal. But God. But God. And there's a young lady that I want to I talk about. Her name's Joanna. And that's a picture of her right there. That's not a very good pic. But you can see a smile on her face. You can see the, the, the sparkle in her eyes. You can see the twinkle in her, in, 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 in her teeth. And uh, this girl... I'll, I'll never forget the first day I met her. She walked into the building, screaming, crying. Her face was, was just completely red and swollen from, from crying. She, she hated life. She had gone through things that no one should ever have to go through. She had gone through things in her own family. She had gone through things with, with men at her school. She had been 
Um, she was an alcoholic by the time she was 17. She struggled with drugs. She was just in a funk. She was in a horrible, horrible world. She was completely without hope. She was angry. She was hurt. She was cynical. She was suicidal. I don't know how many times that she said, I just want to die. I don't want to be here anymore. I just want to kill myself. But God. Everyone say, but God. Have you ever had a but God moment? Have you ever had a time in your life when you've just been completely miserable? You've been dejected, but God. But God shows up and he does something powerful and miraculous and radical and crazy in your life. I'm going to read something. Go ahead and put this up. I am thankful to have a God who cares enough for all creation that he has given us a reason to celebrate this season. He has given us hope that no other can give. Remember that through every trial. Remember that through any and every trial. This is something that, that Joanna has on her Facebook right now. She's now a pastor's wife in Arizona. She's now serving God. She's now, in, she's now investing into men and women. She's now teaching kids how to love Jesus. She's now on a... Uh, She's now focused on teaching kids that they don't have to commit suicide, that there is another option. And you know what's crazy? Ironically, she's working for a teen challenge in Arizona called House of Hope. Someone that was completely hopeless is now spreading hope. She's a hope dealer, church. She's a hope dealer. When hope comes, it comes with an awakening of the truth in Jesus Christ. Rahab, the lady we talked about in this story just a second ago, lived in a land that had absolutely zero hope. It had absolutely zero, zero future. She was a citizen of Jericho. And this Jericho at the time was one of the worst of the Amorite cities. It was um, the people there worshiped false gods. They uh, practiced perverse rituals. They lived in sin. Nothing about their lifestyle um, exhibited hope. Nothing about their lifestyle showed a future. They lived for the day, but had little hope for the future. Rahab herself probably didn't have a lot to live for. She was a prostitute. And I just want to say something very quickly. There are theologians and, and uh, commentators who will argue this, and they'll argue the fact that, oh, she wasn't really a prostitute. They try to tie a nice little pretty ribbon around her. They struggle to believe that anyone associated with the genealogy of Jesus could have lived such a horribly sinful life. They contend that the Hebrew word zuna um, really meant innkeeper. And it's very likely that she kept um, tavern too, that she was an innkeeper. But most theologians will agree that she was, simply put, a hooker. Um, plain and simple. Because of this, the lifestyle she lived, the thoughts that were going through her, the emotions that were swarming through her mind, because of this, there was probably very little to be thankful for. There wasn't a lot that she was excited about in her life. When most people see a prostitute, when they talk about a prostitute, there's this stigma. There's this immediate thought of worthlessness. There's this immediate idea that she's not good enough. She needs to be away from me. She should not be in my space. I don't want anything to do with her. She is trash, she is scum, and she is doing something that is disgusting. There are the questions people ask, why in the world would you do that? Why would you lower yourself to that? It's really easy to talk about all the horrible things they're doing. Moms look at their kids, grab their head, turn their faces away and say, do not look at that woman. She's disgusting. Don't look at her. We turn up our noses. We turn our faces the other direction. Let me tell you something, church. I've dealt with a lot of girls who have been trafficked. I've dealt with this over and over and over. And not a single one of those girls I've dealt with ever said, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. There is something that determined what happened in their life. There is something that caused this switch to take place. Not a single one of those girls wakes up and says, I want to be a prostitute. There are usually things that happen in their lives that lead to this, this hopeless existence. They've lost any ability to love themselves, and they're doing whatever it takes. She was very probably and possibly desperate for money. 
She was desperate for affirmation, for companionship. She was willing to do whatever it took to just stay alive. That lifestyle is a black hole that it's almost impossible to break free from. Some of us, some of you in here, have been in positions in your lives where you probably felt so hopeless that you just didn't want to go on. That when you went to bed at night, you said, I hope I don't wake up in the morning. I don't want to see another day. I don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. We look at our situations. We feel that nothing will ever change. It seems like no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, no, how, no matter how much effort or energy I put into this thing, I'm just going to fail one more time. They get to the point in their lives where failure has become what they think is their destiny. But we serve a God that says, I have a completely different destiny for you. Addictions, unstable marriages, bad jobs, the loss of a job, money, our kids, and illness. It seems like you just can't get ahead. There are things in our lives that we're struggling with, things that we're dealing with, and they've completely, um, completely overwhelmed and taken over our thoughts. And I want to say this. There is no situation in life where hope disappears when you're focusing on God. It might be tough, it might be hard, but as long as you're focusing on God, church, you have hope. Hope doesn't mean everything will suddenly be easy. It's the anticipation that what you're struggling with, God is working on. Stand on the word and say, in Jesus' name, I refuse to budge, I refuse to back down, I refuse to give up. One of my best friends, he's a pastor in Houston, Texas. For the past... Uh, Two and a half years, he's began to, to, to struggle with a debilitating disease. He, uh, he's always been someone that I always looked up to. He was a strong man. He was a big man. He was a smart man. And uh, a few years ago, the uh, symptoms of Parkinson's began to set in. And it's progressively gotten worse. And he's, he's struggled not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And, and, just the, the, and I heard from him a few days ago, and he said, just pray for me. Pray for my family. It's, it's tough when, when their dad and their husband can't do what he used to be able to do. And um, the thing about this man is uh, every time I talk to him, every time I hear from him, I say, no, I refuse to accept that because I stand in faith. I stand on the promise that God said, whatever I ask in his name, it shall be done. And we continue to stand on that promise and believe that God's healing is going to come. We say, in Jesus' name, I refuse to budge. I refuse to back down. I refuse to give up. I let him know, I will not give up on you. On those days you want to give up on yourself, I refuse to give up. Because I have a God that knows what you're calling out to. I have a God that is going to give you your healing. And it's really cool because I talked to him this week, and he, he and his wife had just flown out of state a few weeks ago to, to try this new, um, this new procedure, this, uh, this, this new therapy system. And I, I called him this week, and I said, bro, what's up, man? How are you doing? Are you, are you feeling any, any change yet? Anything positive coming from, from this, this new thing you're starting? And he said, Brandon, man, this week I slept through the night for the first time in over a year. And, and that's huge, God. Let's, let's praise God for that. That is awesome. Tonight, right now, while I stand before you, he, for the first time in over 12 months, is preaching twice today. He preached this morning, and there was a picture, and he was sitting at the pulpit. But I don't care. He's preaching twice, and he's telling people about what God is doing in his life. Don't tell me there isn't hope. Don't tell me there isn't a God. Don't tell me there isn't healing. Church, sometimes God may call you to be the hope in someone else's life when they fail to see it themselves. Get that. There's going to be a point when God is going to call you to be the hope in someone else's life. There are times, you've all been around those people who, who just don't seem to be able to move forward, who, who, who are just stuck in their mess, who are, who are stuck in their depression and stuck, stuck in their dejection. Do what God has called you to do and be a light. When we look at Rahab, we see a prostitute. 
But God sees promise. God sees potential in what we don't. God provides hope within areas that we can't always see. Um, there was a neighborhood a few years ago, that, well, uh, several years, about a decade ago, that a bunch of students went and um, did a missions trip to a, a neighborhood in, in a little barrio in Mexico. And, you know, we show up, and this place is just, it's just nasty. It's just dry. It's desolate. There's no green anywhere. It's just a miserable place. You can, you can see it physically, but you can feel it in the atmosphere spiritually. It's just a dead, dead place. But God, but God showed up, and wherever God shows up, hope shows up. And we, 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 we brought revival with us, and we prayed over these people. We spoke life into these people. We showed them who Jesus is, and we showed them that the same Jesus we had, they could have. A year later, some, I didn't go back, but a year later, some other friends went back to the same neighborhood, and they're like, Brandon, Wow. You should have seen this. Everything was green. There were flowers everywhere. There were bushes everywhere. It wasn't dusty. The people were smiling. The people were happy. The people were changed. Desolate and hopeless the first summer. Beautiful and lush the next summer. When the love of God arrives, hopelessness is displaced. Hope can change the climate of an entire region, church. You need to pray that Christ Point brings a new hope to this area. That's one of the things we prayed last night as a group, is that God shows up and emanates out from this church, that not only is this church going to change, but the region around this church is going to change. That hope is going to show up in Galena. Hope is going to show up in Joplin. Hope is going to show up in Riverton. Hope is going to show up in Baxter and Carl and Neosho and Webb City. That's what happens when we begin to pray in Jesus' name and we begin to bring hope, Rahab met these spies and immediately she knew something better was on its way. These spies were ambassadors, ambassadors of Joshua. And, and by the way, Joshua means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. Kind of ironic that he sent someone there to meet her that was about to save her through someone else that was named Salvation. These spies had just been commissioned, or excuse me, Joshua had just been commissioned by God to take this entire region. If you read through Joshua 1, you'll see where God says, here's your job, go out, get past the Jordan, and take care of business. Get out there and do what I've called you to do. They've been commissioned to take the entire region. Rahab knew something, that there was something unique about these guys, something special. When you walk in the authority of God, people immediately Notice that something is different. If you carry your anointing into a room, people are going to take notice. If you walk in the mantle that God has placed on you, people are going to take notice. They're going to see something different. These spies weren't worried that they were walking into a house of ill repute. It actually made things, I think, a little easier for the mission. You see, this was a place that was frequented by travel, travelers. Every single day, travelers were walking in and walking out of this place. Every single day, people were walking in. The door was a revolving door. You see, she had her, uh, her profession, but like I said earlier, it was probably, probably an end too. Um, but I believe that each time one of these travelers walked in, they sat down at the table, they ordered a drink, and they looked at her and said, hey, woman, come here. Come over here, woman. I want to tell you a story. So a few, a few months back, several weeks ago, I was on the other side of the Jordan, and I was by the Red Sea, and I'm just sitting there camping. I'm minding my own business, and all of a sudden, I heard a noise. I heard the wind. I heard something crazy. It sounded like thunder. It was booming. And I looked up at the sea, and the water started swirling, and the water started moving. And next thing you know, the waters parted. And I said, what in the world is going on? And then I see a group of people shouting and singing and dancing and marching. And it was the Israelite people. And I don't know what happened, but I know it was powerful. I know that something crazy happened. And then another man comes in, and he sits at the bar, and he says, I got to tell you a story. I got to tell you something. You know those kings, Sihon and, and Og, those guys that were ruthless, those guys that were strong, those guys that never got beat by anyone? Man, this army showed up, these Israelites showed up, and they annihilated them. And as she's hearing these stories, as these people are coming in and they're telling these stories, I can see the sparkle start to come back to her eyes. I can see the hope start to rise up. I can see something start to build and be born inside of her life that has never before been there. 
Hope is replacing the hopelessness. Each time the travelers shared with her, her eyes sparkled a little more as the hopelessness was re being replaced with faith in God and hope that something was going to change. Some of these travelers had, had, had shared these stories, like I said, the, Israel, the Israelite army, they told how the, the Lord was going to give them Israel. Now, after hearing these stories, after hearing about God, after hearing about his power and the authority he has over the land, she sees two men walk in the door. She'd never seen these men. She didn't know these men, but she was beginning to know about God, and she saw the authority they walked in. The spies might have thought, it's going to be a little bit easier to blend in here. There's a lot of people in here. But when you carry the mantle of God, you tend to stick out in a crowd. Rahab knew that the children of Israel were in her tavern. There will be times in your lives when God may lead you to a seemingly unlikely place in order to bring hope to the hopeless. You know, church, some of us in here are never going to walk through the doors of a brothel. We're never going to walk into a bar. We're never going to walk into a crack house. But he might ask you to go and knock on the door of the person you can't stand and tell them about the hope and the glory and the love of Jesus Christ. God had led, one of the, led these spies to the one person in all of Jericho who believed in him, and she was, she was already prepared to help them. Ephesians 1, 17 through 18 says this, reading from the NIV. I keep asking that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I also pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which has called you. Paul says that when you begin to grab, grab hold and understand the investment that God has made in you and continues to make in you, your eyes will be opened to hope despite the circumstances that are surrounding you. The concept of hope, guys, is more than a desire or wish for something in the future. Biblical hope implies a deep assurance and a solid confidence about the future. Rahab was getting a glimpse of the future, although she had no clue at this point what her future held. Hope is based on God's promises and what he reveals to us through his work. Work, word, word. Our hope is directly linked and cannot be separated from a firm faith. Our hope is directly linked and cannot be separated from a firm faith. The second thing is God brings faith so we can have hope. God brings faith so we can have hope. Faith and hope are often synonymous, but before one has hope, they must have faith. Hope is the direct byproduct of faith. The stronger your faith, the more tangible your hope. Rahab heard about God before she ever shared about God. Listen to that. Rahab was hearing these stories. She was hearing about the, the conquest of the Israelite army. She was hearing what these travelers were saying. She was hearing about who and what God was before she ever did anything on God's behalf. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Normally people aren't going to come to faith in God unless they read the Bible or they have someone share the gospel message with them. It is the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to awaken a response um, of faith in our hearts and then the reliability of the word that ensures our faith for salvation. So it's hearing the word, it's placing the word inside of us, it's meditating the word, it's grabbing a hold of the word, it's holding on to the word that increases the faith in us. And once the faith begins to rise up, then the hope level begins to rise up. Rahab heard the story of God's strength and power building her faith before she ever started having hope that her world could be changed. That is why the word of our testimony, um, John writes in Revelation, the word of our testimony, that is why the word of our testimony is so important. It builds faith, which translates to hope. 
I can't help when I think about the word of our testimony, when I think about people telling what God has done in their lives and how God has miraculously and radically and powerfully changed their lives. There's so many people that cycle through my mind. I've heard so many awesome stories, but one, um, I, I think about Amy over here. And I think about this video that, that we ran on Easter Sunday, the video that Amy, um, that Amy uh, talked about and gave her testimony in. And pretty soon, this video went crazy, and it had thousands, thousands of views. Why do you think that this video had as many views as it had? Because people started seeing, I have a chance. I can have hope. I can believe that something bigger and better is coming. I can believe that my life is not going to stay in this place. I believe that I don't have to live in this mess anymore. When a what was once a hopeless situation was now a situation of hope. What was once a hopeless situation was now a situation of hope. She said, I can do something. I don't have to mess with this mess anymore. Hope is the emotional expectation fueled by faith, which is the intellectual understanding that something great is about to happen. Something great is about to happen in my life. By faith, Rahab was speaking what she had heard the travelers say about the Israelite nation. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope, faith is the, evidence, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. True faith involves trusting God in all circumstances, including the knowledge that the two men standing in front of me were sent to my house sent to this city, sent to this land to take me out. These two men came here for the sole purpose of scouting this region to see what they needed to do in order to destroy us, in order to destroy me. But she had faith, knowing that her, her sisters, her brother, her father, her family, her household was to be destroyed. Despite that, she believed God and believed what she had heard. This kind of trust enables us to remain loyal to God and his word at all times. So hope is not based on, on the visible situations, but on the confidence in spiritual realities. We, we hear pastors say this all the time, that there's um, what is happening here on earth is happening in heaven. There's, there's a, uh, um, a parallel between what happens here and what is happening there. Um, hope is trusting God, even when the evidence seems to point to a predetermined outcome. It's knowing that what should happen in the physical world is being changed by what's happening in the spiritual world. She didn't have any reference point. She didn't know anything about God other than what she'd heard these men say, but she realized there was something real there. She realized there was something great there, and she grabbed hold of what she had, and as she began grabbing, and as she began holding, and as she began pulling, and as she began tugging, something rose up inside of her and changed her life, church. Because faith was being built in Rahab, she began believing that God could and would spare her and her family from the destruction that was about to happen to Jericho. Joshua 2, 12 through 16. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read that very quickly. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So that the men answered, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, it shall be when the Lord was given us the land, and we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. Um, and she said to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide here three days until the pursuers have, have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. It was by faith that Rahab hid the spies, sent the guards, the king's guard, in the wrong direction, and began believing in God, in the God of Israel, and sent them to safety. It was then in the hope that she realized that her family was going to be safe from the destruction of, of Jericho. It was at that moment that, that, that what had once been hope was now being realized. What she had once thought about was now becoming, becoming tangible. She's saying, you know what? All I have to do is follow, follow their instruction and my family is saved. I want to make a disclaimer real quick. I want to quickly, very quickly clarify something. 
There is no such thing as a righteous lie. There is no such thing as a righteous lie. She lied. We see that in the scripture. And sometimes this is, this is a stumbling point when you're trying to reconcile this, this passage through your mind and, you, and you're hearing about this woman that's got faith and she's got hope and she's, she's saving the lives of these men. And then you say, but, but she lied. What's up with that? What in the world was this woman thinking? She lied. And that is not condoned anywhere in scripture. The Bible is very clear online. But I want to say this. In James 2.25, it says, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Her lying's not what's being justified here, church. It's not being hidden under the rug. It's not being shuffled. It's not being unmentioned. She isn't being praised for lying. She's be, being commended for receiving the spies and sending them in a safe direction and for realizing that God is the true God that she should be following. And then we have uh, Hebrews 11.31. Um, the writer says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Again, she's not being commended for lying. She's being commended for acting in faith. She wasn't chosen because of her sins. She was chosen in spite of her sins. She wasn't chosen because of her spin. She was chosen in spite of them. How many of us have messed up, even after walking with God for years and years and years? A lot of us in here are are mature Christians, and we've been following Christ for a number of years, but how many times have you messed up in the last week? I'm not saying you lied, but you've probably done something that you know you shouldn't have done. I'm in no way justifying her lying, but keep in mind, she was a brand new follower and trying to save a couple men of God. She was putting herself in a very precarious position If the king found out about her lie, what's going to happen to her? She's probably dead, dead on the spot. But the spies said, if you listen to us and do what we say, then you and your family are going to be safe. Joshua 2, 17 through 21, I'm going to read that very quickly. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window, which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if we lay a hand on him. And if you tell the business of ours, Then we will be free from our oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. According to your words, so be it. She now had hope that if she did these three things, she and her family were going to be safe. Sometimes, though, even when we see God do miraculous things, even when we see him do powerful things, even when we see him change our lives, the past pops up. Sometimes we feel defined by what we've done in the past. The Bible doesn't really tell us how she emotionally coped with her previous lifestyle, but it does tell us how Jesus would have handled it. Hope breaks the chains of stigma and uncertainty. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Your hope is bound in a faith that says, as long as you continue seeking in and growing in the Lord, you're assured the promise he has made you will be fulfilled. Rahab was most likely, um, she was most likely certain of her newfound relationship with God. Because of these things, Rahab had now committed to her mind and began meditating on. Her mind was shifting. Because of what she was focused on God, her mind was shifting. Her perceptions were shifting. Her thoughts were shifting. She was beginning to see herself as a follower of God instead of a hopeless hooker. How many of us in here tonight need to start looking at things differently? We need to start seeing things differently. We need to quit seeing the hopelessness of life, and we need to see the destiny that God has put over our lives. God told Joshua to continue, continually be meditating on the word. Continually be meditating on the word. When he uses the word meditate, he said, let it continually be happening. It's not a one-time thing. It's not something I do um, tomorrow, and then I don't do it again till 
uh, next November. It's something I'm constantly, perpetually doing. It's something I'm, I'm allowing to just marinate inside my heart and inside my soul. She was beginning, she, she, the more word you ingest into your spirit, the more word you have, the more hope you'll be able to grab hold of. When you begin to focus on God um, with all you are, brothels begin to become sanctuaries, and that's how revival happens. Brothels become sanctuaries when we begin to focus on God with everything we are, when we begin to see God in everything we do, when we begin to follow God with all that we are, things start to change. Brothels will become sanctuaries. These men walked into a house of ill repute, but they walked out saved men that were about to conquer the land. If you want to walk out of something, then start focusing on God. Start meditating on the word like you never have before. Rahab was in the process of walking away from this lifestyle. But there are all those, do you know that there's always those people that no matter how good you do, no matter how much you change, no matter how much um, you succeed, there's always that one guy, and he says, yeah, but remember when? There are always those people that are going to look at your past. She was walking away from this lifestyle, but there are others that were probably thinking differently. Even the, the theologians that um, I sometimes study that said, well, she wasn't a prostitute, she was just an innkeeper. Because they couldn't handle the thought of a harlot being in such a powerful story. They couldn't handle the thought of, of someone that lived that lifestyle being a savior to men of God. Others might have a different story. Joshua 6, 22, the Israelites showed up. They took out Jericho. And Joshua says this, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. We see that she was saved at this point. But even as she was being saved and all the help she had done to ensure victory to the Israelites, she was still being referred to as a prostitute. She was still being called a harlot. She was still being told, this is who you are. She was being referred to by what she'd always done. You know, church, humanity overall, and very sadly, a lot of Christians, have a bad habit of stigmatizing certain people based on their actions or on their history. Some stigmas are just stupid. Some are just dumb, and they're those people, as, as I, 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 I was raised in, in Carl Junction, Missouri, where you say, you're just plumb ignorant. Some people are just plumb, plumb ignorant, and the stuff they say is just dumb. You have that one girl who's like, oh my gosh, I was like totally at the pool, and this guy like took his shirt off, and his back hair was French braided, and he had three belly buttons. Can you believe it? That is so gross. Some people should not be allowed outside their, their house. And then there's, there's the people that are just rude about everything, and she says, oh my gosh, every time I talk to Lucy, I can't, even, I can't even think about what she's saying because each time she smiles, her nostrils start to jiggle a little bit. It is so distracting. And there and there are the, 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 that one person who's just so self-righteous. I was at the DMV the other day, and I was filling out my license forms, and this man standing in front of me, he passed gas right there in the Department of Motor Vehicles. Can you believe it? The nerve of some people. And that's the kind of stuff we hear every day. We hear people just complain and complain and complain and just say stupid stuff. But then, there's things that are a little more real. There's things that even as Christians, we might say, and if we don't say it, sometimes we think it. There's that bum. There's that guy standing on the corner. There's that guy that comes to the church every day asking for money. That bum is coming up here one more time. Why doesn't he just get a job? Standing in line at the grocery store at Walmart. I cannot believe that woman in front of me. She's using an EBT card. She's wearing Jordans. And she's carrying a Michael Kors bag. She's stealing from me. She's stealing from my taxes. And we got to get real, church. Uh-oh. That black kid walking towards me. He got a hoodie on. I better walk on the other side of the street so I don't get mugged. 
Just put the needle down, lady. It's not that hard. You can break that habit. Just have some willpower. Uh Uh-oh. There's Rahab. She's bringing some more men into her house. We know she's about to do. If you're struggling with an uncertainty or a history and that is holding you back, know that Jesus doesn't look at it this way. Know that Jesus doesn't judge you in this manner. Know that Jesus sees you and he doesn't see a helpless, hopeless, messed up life. He sees promise and potential in you. In fact, you know what? He's handled a few of these situations, a few of these things that I'm talking about um, quite differently. In Luke 7, we know that Jesus was invited to, a, to Simon's house, and when he walked in, all of these hyper-spiritual, just like puffed-up men were, were sitting around the, the table, and he walks in, and uh, he's sitting there, and no one's really even acknowledged him, and pretty soon, some woman just kind of tiptoes in, and the, the, the conversation just stops, except for the, the back and forth, and they're like, what the, what in the world is this woman doing in here? She's not allowed in here. First off, it was culturally taboo for a woman to step foot, but this woman had, had kind of a reputation, if you know what I'm talking about, and uh, she walks in, and she walks straight to Jesus, and Simon steps up, and he said, uh, uh, I, I know you call yourself a prophet and stuff. Don't you know what kind of woman this is? And he says, you know what? I know exactly who she is, but from the second she stepped in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet, anointing my feet, and washing, washing my feet. You didn't kiss me, you didn't wash my hands or my feet, and you didn't anoint my head, but she's doing all of these things. And then there's the time in uh, John 4, when Pastor, Pastor talked about this this morning, but, but Jesus walks up to this well, and this woman says, why are you talking to me? What are you, what, you're, a, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, you're not supposed to be talking to me. And, and he talks to, I don't need to tell you the story because we heard it this morning. He, he says, you know what? You don't just have one husband. You got a whole bunch of husbands, but that's not what I'm here. I'm here to give you something great. I'm here to give you something powerful. I'm here to give you a fountain that will last forever. And then in John 8, we have another story about a bunch of men, this angry mob's dragging this woman behind them, and she throws them on the ground and says, you know what? Moses said this adulterous woman needs to be stoned. We want to know what you say. What do you have to say about that? Jesus just bends down, starts writing in the sand. They're still badgering him. They're still questioning him. And he just says, the first one of you that's never sinned, you throw the first stone. Eventually, they all left. And he looked at the woman and said, where are they at? They're not here anymore. I forgive you too. Go do your thing. And if Jesus deals with these people like that, then maybe we need to do an evaluation and rethink the way that we deal with people sometimes. Don't be the person who makes Rahab feel like she isn't good enough to follow God. Be the one next to her that holds her hands as the walls are falling down. And even if you can't see it, believe it's going to happen. Romans 8.24 in the CEV says, Now is this hope we are saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Instead of wondering if they'll change because you aren't seeing it, have faith and begin speaking hope over what you can't see. If you aren't bringing hope to someone in a miserable situation, then at least don't be adding to their misery. We're called to be hope dealers, church. It's easy for us to show uncertainty, to to, to see uncertainty about people with sketchy past, but Jesus said, anyone can come to me. In Luke 9, we see that if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. John 7.30 said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me to drink. John 8.51, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. John 10.9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Romans 10.11-13, scripture says, whoever, in another translation, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. If whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who came upon him. For whoever, for if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, 
he shall be saved. It doesn't matter if you're a prostitute. It doesn't matter if you're a lawyer. It doesn't matter if you're a drug dealer. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor. If you call on the name of the Lord with a genuinely repentant heart, then you will be saved. Anyone means anyone. Anyone means anyone, including a prostitute. There is hope for a hooker church. Come on. You know what's really cool about that last verse is the line says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. What's cool, what I think is really cool about that is that Rahab was the first Gentile conversion. She started something for all of us in here. She began something for all of us in here. Anyone means anyone. We can be certain in our hope that the chains will be broken and the stigmas will fall off. Stigmas will falter upon the hope of the altar. I'm going to say that one more time. Stigmas will falter upon the hope of the altar. When you want your stigmas to to break off, when you want the chains to be undone, when you want the walls to begin falling down, then start having hope, faith in Jesus Christ. Rahab turned her stigma into her story. At one point, that same sarlet cord that marked her profession was now the tool that saved both the spies and her family. She was certain of a hope that she had in God. Psalm 71, 14, but as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. And then she left the city. And some of the stuff we don't know about her, but one of the things we do know, she ended up being married to Salmon, giving birth to Boaz, who was the great-grandfather of King David, and eventually down the line to Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. She went from being a hooker with no hope to the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We don't know what happened in the following months. Maybe Joseph went up to her one afternoon and said, hey, come here, I want to talk to you about something. And he said, God told me to constantly be focusing on his book of the law. He commanded me to be strong, never scared, never hopeless, because no matter where I'm at, he's with me. This is the kind of stuff that increases your faith and your hope. God says the same thing to you, church. Be strong, be of good courage. Don't be dismayed. Don't be terrified, because he is with you wherever you go.